Welcome to the GMAT Strategy Podcast. You're here because you believe there's a better way to study for the GMAT, and so do I. I created the GMAT Strategy to maximize your results and minimize your efforts so you can get to the fun parts about business school and life as quickly as possible. My name is Isaac Puglia, and I've been teaching GMAT classes and tutoring privately for the GMAT for over six years, and I personally have achieved a 99th percentile score on an official GMAT exam and helped hundreds of students get into the business schools of their choice. I'm excited to be a part of your MBA journey since I think the world can benefit from the best possible business leaders that we can find. And if this show is bringing you value, please share it with your friends and family who are studying for the GMAT so that together we can make this process as easy and painless for as many people as we possibly can. Let's go. Today, we're going to be talking about how to start your GMAT studies. And I probably don't have to explain that on a long and intense journey like studying for the GMAT, starting off on the right path can be a huge, huge benefit and cut months off your study time, especially when it's compounded over time. So I want to get right into this, and I'm very, very hopeful that this episode in particular, if you're just starting out with your GMAT studies, is going to make a huge difference for you. First thing we should discuss in talking about starting your GMAT studies is what materials you're going to use. The first thing you should do is pick a provider to learn your content from. There's a lot of memorization that you're going to do for the GMAT exam, and there's a lot of things that you're going to relearn that you probably haven't visited in a while. Things like long subtraction and long multiplication, because there's no calculator on the GMAT exam, and I apologize if you didn't know that. I I hate giving people bad news, but it's important, important truth of the GMAT. Um, and things like surface area of a cube or what the equation of a line is in slope intercept form. This is, uh, good to remember. It's all stuff that you've, you've been familiar with at some point. So it's, it's not like you're learning it from scratch in most cases. Um, but you will probably have to shake the rust off. And that's something we've all had to do in studying for the GMAT. So where should you start with picking a provider for this stuff? I think that if you're going to go the printed materials route, i.e. studying with books, which is the least expensive route, then you're probably going to want to get the Manhattan Prep Strategy Guides. I'm no longer affiliated with Manhattan Prep in any way. I I did teach Manhattan Prep GMAT classes and tutored privately at Manhattan Prep for almost five years. And in my experience, I haven't looked at every single set of printed materials. That's an important caveat. But in my experience, their materials are the most thorough. So I think you're probably going to get the best results and the best bang for your buck with their printed materials. I personally used their printed books to prepare back in the day when I was studying for the GMAT. And they were extremely, extremely helpful, particularly on the content front. If you're going to be going the the book route, um, there are probably other providers out there that have good materials. I just personally don't have experiences with them, and so I don't personally recommend them to people. Now, the place to begin with that, if you haven't done math in a long time and you're a little, maybe maybe you don't feel so good about your, your current math skills, or you've never been great at math, or math is just not something that you've done very much in your professional life over the past few years, then you probably want to start with their book called Foundations of GMAT Math, which is specifically geared toward folks in that situation. And I generally recommend that people go through every other problem when they're doing that book. So you can just do the odd numbered problems like one, three, five, seven, etc. And that'll give you some nice velocity for, through the book because the book is is pretty long and it's easy to get sandbagged and lose your 
momentum early on in the prep process if you're doing too many of those questions. If you are really, really struggling, you can get by with every third problem. And if you're really solid with your math fundamentals and you've taken a practice test and your your quant scaled score is like maybe 38 to 40 or above, you probably don't need the Foundations of Math book. It's not that you can't benefit from it. It's just a good metric to gauge how much time you should be spending into that. In, in that. Now, Manhattan Prep also publishes books on the math side and the verbal side, so you can take a look at your score goals and decide which one or both that you need to improve and go through those books. I recommend doing every other practice problem in the back of each chapter. I recommend taking notes as you go through the books. And I think on your first pass through those materials, you probably want to aim for around 70% or better comprehension. You don't need perfect comprehension because you're going to see all that stuff again when you start taking practice tests down the line. But for now, that's a good metric to aim for. If you have a little bit more money to spend, it might be worth considering, in addition to the books or instead of the books, getting a digital class. That's sort of like the next tier up in terms of cost and perhaps ease, depending on your learning style. And in my experience, most of those are pretty darn good. So I, I don't think you can go wrong. If price is an issue, you can probably safely choose the lowest cost option. If you just happen to resonate with one of those brands or you got a good deal because they're running a promotion, that's probably good enough. The The main thing that you want from a class, it, 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 whether it's digital or in person, is an instructor and or a format that you find engaging and helpful. So, somebody that you resonate with because you're just going to learn more from people who you feel connected to versus people who just bore you or, or who you just you don't like their personality or for whatever reason they they just irk you a little bit. Um, so see if you can pick a, a digital provider that you feel resonates with you. Even if it means spending a little bit more money, I think that is money well spent, especially gauged against the cost of, of your MBA. Now, moving up for the tier from that, you have in-person classes and online classes with a live instructor. I think people who benefit most from that type of thing are people who aren't particularly good independent learners and who want some accountability from a human being, but you're not willing to spend as a little bit more money or maybe a lot more money to get a private tutor. Um, that's, I think, where the in-person classes really shine. Also, if you get a great instructor, that can be a huge asset for you because they're available to answer questions most of the time. So if you feel like you're going to have a lot of questions and you want to have a lot of interaction with someone who's an expert, I think in-person and online classes are great for that. Private tutoring tends to be at the top of the cost sphere, but it is probably the fastest route to your goal. So if time is, is the biggest constraint for you and money is less of a constraint, I would look into a one-on-one -on -one tutor. And the important thing there is just to make sure that you get someone who has good references and someone who has a proven track record of success. Now, when it comes to which type of route you should go, I think the most important thing is honesty with yourself. <laughs> I think you really want to be truthful and honest with yourself as you start this process. Am I really the type of person who's going to sit down for an hour every night and work out of these books alone with nobody else guiding me? Or am I the type of person who really needs a consistent structure for my studies? Am I the type of person who really needs accountability to another human being who I feel like I, I need to get my work done for them, um, or any combination of, of those things or wherever you are on that scale. If you're a great independent learner, maybe you can save a little bit of money by going the digital prep route or the printed material route. 
If you are not a great independent learner and you learn much better in a classroom setting, my strongest advice would be just pay the extra money now to get a class so that you don't get discouraged early in your prep. Because if you start studying with the books, even though in the back of your mind you're like, I know I probably should take a class, and you get discouraged, then you can lose a lot of valuable prep time and a lot of valuable momentum as you start your GMAT studies. Moving on, you want to pick a problem source to do practice problems from, and the best recommendation I can make there is get a copy of the official guide for GMAT review. That book changes pretty slowly year over year. Every year they do publish a new copy, but there's only about 30% maximum new problems per edition, and keep in mind that two-thirds of those problems are going to be easy and medium, and so might not be particularly valuable in your prep. Um, so if you can if you can save a little bit of money by getting an older edition, I think anything after the 15th edition is probably fine for today's test. I think before that you're taking kind of a risk on the verbal section because things do change over time. Do you need the latest edition? Not necessarily. Is it valuable? Yes. And it's not a huge price differential in most situations. The other thing that's probably worth putting on your radar at this point is there's a main official guide that has verbal and quant practice problems in it. If you've been studying for a while or you've already done a lot of official guide problems, there's also two separate official guides, one for math and one for verbal. They're called the Official Guide for GMAT Quant Review and the Official Guide for GMAT Verbal Review, respectively. A quick web search will net you some good deals on those books. I do recommend if you're just starting out and you haven't done any printed materials, save those smaller books for later in your prep for doing timed set practice. So doing like 10 questions in a row in 20 minutes or something like that. And then use the larger uh, regular official guide for one problem at a time practice as you start your skills work. Now the other thing you're going to want in terms of materials is practice exams because the GMAT is very unique in the way that it measures your capacity to, to score well on the test and measures your abilities. And you want to have as much experience, quality experience as possible with those exams. The most important source of practice tests is MBA.com. This is the official website that you'll use to register for the GMAT. And they publish a set of practice tests, two of which are free, and as of now, four of which you can pay a little bit more to get access to. These are the most important exams for a couple reasons. Number one, they use real retired GMAT questions, which no other provider is licensed to do. And second, the MBA.com practice exams use the real scoring algorithm, the same algorithm that you'll face on test day. And other third-party providers don't have specific enough access to the way the algorithm works in order to fully and accurately replicate that. Now, it's not that third-party exams are useless. They do have their place. But in terms of getting started with your prep, one of the very first steps you should take as soon as possible is taking an initial baseline practice exam if you haven't already. That's extremely important because it's impossible to optimize your prep and your study time and your results, really, if you have inaccurate starting data. A good analogy would be if I asked you the fastest route between an unknown starting point and New York City. It's impossible for you to optimize that route because you don't actually know where I'm starting. How can you tell me the most efficient way to get there? So that's how you want to think about that initial baseline test is just getting the most accurate data that you possibly can. So I strongly recommend going to MBA.com, registering and getting the two free tests to start and take the first one if you haven't taken one already. 
This is also important if you've taken a third-party practice test as your baseline score. You should absolutely retest with an MBA.com exam as your baseline score because, like I said, those third-party exams have their place. But as a starting point, I think it can really hurt you and it can really hold you back, and it's free. So you might as well take that time to fully optimize your prep because, of course, that's the whole purpose of this conversation right now is not just to help you get there but to help you get there as efficiently as possible. Now, I'll go further in depth with the sequencing of practice tests in a future episode. And as of now, that episode is called Study Plan. It's uh, a few episodes down the sequence from this one. This is an update I'm making in 2023 right now. You can see the original air date of this podcast is uh, a few years back. But I want to make sure all my recommendations are on point for you. Because like I say, at the beginning of every episode, you're really important to business culture. And I take my responsibility and my role in this process with you extremely seriously. And if our roles were reversed, I would want you to give me the best advice you could give me and have that advice be up to date. So hopefully you're experiencing my commitment to that right now. Just to give you a quick preview of practice test sequencing, you're going to start with that MBA.com exam as your initial baseline. And then once you go through your content building phase of your prep, then you can fill in some third-party providers practice exams during that content building and skill measuring phase. The reason for that sequencing is the accuracy of the MBA.coms, like I just mentioned, but the downfall of the MBA.coms is they don't have very robust analysis features and they don't have answer explanations for the problems. They're just not super user-friendly in terms of analyzing your results, but they do give you the most accurate results. So what you'll want to do based on your initial starting score, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, is plot out your study time, get your materials together, and start building your content. But after you have built your content knowledge, you're going to need to retest to figure out, okay, am I there yet? Or am I not there yet? How far off am I? And what are the next things that I should focus on? Do I need to work on my timing? Do I need to work on my knowledge of certain areas? And it's very difficult to know that, especially as a student, if you're going to go this path alone without a practice exam to tell you, hey, this is what's going well, this is what's not going well, and the analysis features to aggregate that data over time. So after you go through that content building phase and you're ready to retest, pretty much any large brand's practice tests are going to be fine for that. You won't be able to put a ton of stock in the score. Most of those tests are a little on the deflated side, so slightly lower than a real test would be, but not so much lower than a real test would be that it's totally useless data. It's still valuable. Um, but the main benefit that you're getting from those third-party exams is the analysis features of this is where you're at with algebra, this is where you're at with exponents, this is where you're at with reading comprehension. Those kinds of data points can be really important when you're trying to optimize that middle phase of your preparation, when you're trying to get all the stuff you learned to come out in your score. I used to recommend a couple big brand providers practice tests, but the industry has changed enough at this point that I would say pretty much any of them will do. So there's some free tests available from a wide variety of providers. You can use those. If you like the interface and the quality of the large brand providers free tests that you're using, feel free to upgrade and buy whatever other tests they offer. Again, you're not using them as like super accurate score predictors because they're not going to be using real GMAT questions and they're not going to be using the real algorithm. But some of them are very fair simulations. And if you want the most up-to-date advice for your specific situation about which practice tests you want to use, then feel free to shoot us a message and we'll be happy to advise. 
Once you've used those third-party exams to analyze your strengths and weaknesses and you've worked on those strengths and weaknesses and built them up, then it's time to return to the MBA.com practice exams closer to your real test to get those more accurate data points and refine your studies as needed. I would say that switching back to those MBA.com exams is a good idea maybe two to six weeks from your real test date. Or if you're struggling to believe in the data from the third-party exams that you're taking. So those would be the two situations where it's time to return to the MBA.com practice exams and take that second free one, if you haven't already, and or upgrade at MBA.com and get the paid practice test. That's the best general advice that I can give you for now. That should be at least enough to get you going, if not more than enough. But again, if you have questions, just reach out anytime and we'll be happy to help. Now, once you take that first practice test, you want to look at your goal math score and your goal verbal score, and you want to figure out how far you are from each one. And if you're twice as far away from your math score, then you want to do twice as much math study and and half as much verbal study. If your verbal score is already high enough and you only need math, then you only want to study the math stuff. So that stuff can be kind of obvious, but a lot of people miss that when they're they're starting their prep. So I I do feel compelled to, to mention that to you. That covers us for materials. If, if you have questions about this, find us on Facebook at the GMAT strategy, find us on Instagram at the GMAT strategy, and let us know if, if you have questions. We're more than happy to answer questions. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube as well at the GMAT strategy. Now, moving on to a couple tips for how to study. First thing I'd recommend that's that seems small, but it is actually important, and I see a lot of people make this mistake and, and results in pain later on, is start now doing your scratch work and your figuring for math questions and verbal questions on a separate sheet of paper. Don't do it in the actual book. Don't use the printed questions that are in the book to do your scratch work or to do your answer choice eliminations because you're not going to be able to do that on the real exam. If, if you didn't know that the GMAT is on a computer, it's extremely important that you realize that, and you're going to have separate scratch paper while you're in the GMAT exam. And and if you're not used to that, it can really, really throw you off. So don't get in the habit of underlining things on the math section or the verbal section while you're reading questions because you're not going to be able to do that on the test. So you might as well just start now with doing your figuring and writing down what's given and asked and doing your algebra and your answer choice eliminations, etc. on a separate sheet of paper. Sub-tip for verbal, I would strongly recommend at the very least writing down all five answer choices on every single question that you do. That tends to offload how much you need to hold in your working memory, and over the course of a four-hour exam, that drag can really add up both ways. So if you're holding all this stuff in your head, you'll probably get fatigued faster, versus if you have good scratch work habits and you're used to offloading that processing power to your scratch work, it's going to help tremendously over the course of a four-hour exam. Now, one quick note, you don't necessarily need a simulation of the actual test-taking booklet that you'll have on test day. Now, the the booklet itself on test day is a laminated sheet of paper that you'll use sort of like a whiteboard marker, a dry erase marker on to do your figuring. It's it's a fine tip marker, so it's similar to writing with a a 0.7 millimeter pen, something like that. But if you really, really want to experience what that's like, you can get a simulation booklet um, online. You, You can just... Uh, do a web search for GMAT test simulation booklet, and you should get a couple good results around the $20 range, something like that. I don't recommend using that for your homework or for your initial practice test because it smears very easily and it's very difficult to go back and look at your scratch work later. But if you're concerned about it 
or you're left-handed, in which case the, the test book does smear a lot, and so that's something that's worth practicing. Um, I would recommend using it for your last two or three official practice tests as you get closer to the exam. But up until then, I would just use pen and paper or pencil and paper so that you can look back at your scratch work when you're reviewing your exams. Now, when it comes to timing practice questions, for the first few weeks of your prep, I'd strongly recommend just working without time so that you can build good habits on each individual question type. Things like data sufficiency and sentence correction might be new to you if you've never taken the GMAT before. And so you want to take your time to really get comfortable with those formats without the, pr the uh, time pressure. Unfortunately, or fortunately, time, time pressure is a big factor on the real exam. So after the first couple weeks, when you're used to the individual problem types, you're going to want to start introducing time pressure, but you're going to want to introduce it gradually. So the next thing you're going to want to do is start timing all your problems using a stopwatch or a count up timer and just record how much time each problem takes you. You don't have to limit yourself to two minutes a question or three minutes a question, but you do want to start to develop some time awareness of what does six minutes feel like? What does three minutes feel like? What does two minutes feel like? Because on the GMAT, when you're taking it, every time you go over two minutes, you're taking that time away from a future question to invest on the current question. And you want to start to develop a sensitivity to when that's a good idea and when it is not. Now, after the first four weeks, maybe months to six weeks of prep, then you can start using a countdown timer. And what I recommend there is start with two minutes. And then when that goes off, make a decision about whether investing another minute or so is likely to pay off. And if it's not likely to pay off, practice guessing and bailing out on that question. Because again, you don't want to steal time from a future question if it's unlikely to pay off. But if you feel like another minute is really going to help you get that question right, then you can go all the way up to three minutes and you can set another little one minute timer. And you really want to practice feeling what two minutes feels like and then practicing making a decision at two minutes because you're going to have to do that a lot on the GMAT exam. I do not recommend spending more than three minutes on any one GMAT question. There are times and places where two and a half or three minutes can benefit you, but in general, when you're going beyond three minutes, you're getting one point for the price of two, and that's a, that's a bargain that just will not pay off for 99% of test takers in the long run. Now, last tip here for studying is I would strongly recommend keeping a list of problems that you would like to go back over and review multiple times. And the best problems to put in this list are problems that have interesting strategies or strategies that you want to know better or questions that are just difficult for you in general that you know you need to get better at. And one th I would say if there's one thing that m the most number of people do wrong when they're studying for the GMAT is they overvalue doing new problems and they undervalue redoing problems they've already seen. And that's particularly true on the math section. Um, with verbal, it's a little bit different. With verbal, it's more about how you review problems and making sure that you can explain why right answers are right and why wrong answers are wrong. That's extremely important for verbal. Uh, so on the verbal side, I recommend not just doing a bunch of practice questions because that generally does not drive people's score improvement. I recommend doing fewer questions, but doing a deeper analysis of them and making sure that you always know why the right answers are right and why the wrong answers are wrong. And if you want a little bit more instruction on that, I'll, I'll make a rep recommendation at the end of the show for you. Um, Particularly for the math section though, I'd recommend keeping a list of problems that could be a simple spreadsheet and you're gonna to wanna to track the source of the problem, you're gonna to wanna to track whether you got it right or wrong, you're gonna to wanna to track the time you spent on it the last time you did it, because keep in mind you're probably gonna do it three, four, five, six times in most cases. And then you wanna track if there's anything you wanna remember for the next time when you see the problem. And the reason that re redoing problems that you've already seen is so helpful is, is twofold. First is seeing something once is generally not enough for it to be automatic for us on the test. So just because you've seen 
seen a problem once and then you see a similar problem on the exam, that's, that's usually not enough for most of us to, to knock it out under time pressure. Now, the second reason to go back and do these questions over and over is that's how you get faster. That, that's how you build speed. If, if you built speed in any aspect of your life, like tying your shoes, for example, you've probably done it because you probably developed that speed because you've done the same activity over and over and over and over again. And if you can get one strategy really, really down and really automatic for you, then it's much more likely you're going to be able to implement that strategy or reappropriate that strategy in a new question, in a future problem, than it would be if you only sort of know the strategy or you're loosely familiar with the strategy. As far as where to go from there, it's important and valuable to set up a regular schedule for your GMAT studies. And this is a place where a lot of people really fall off. I'll give you a couple tips that I think will make a big difference. The first is I would strongly recommend making studying for the GMAT part of your daily routine. Even if it's only 20 minutes a day and you have to do the bulk of your studying on the weekend, just hitting that material a little bit every single day throughout the week is going to be hugely, hugely valuable. And I think an an analogy to physical exercise is extremely useful in, in that particular situation. So for most of us, going to the gym one hour a day, six days a week is going to get us vastly better results hour by hour than going to the gym one day a week for six hours. And your brain works roughly similar to that. Now, the one thing I'll say is if you're in a really demanding profession or you just have a lot of responsibilities and you really only have four hours a day to study on Saturday and that's all you've got, that is way better than zero. And, and, you, and I would recommend leveraging that. But if there is any physical possible way that you can spread that out more throughout the week, I would strongly recommend doing that because you will need more total study hours if you're like most people if you batch your study mostly on the weekends so consistency is the key now that is my second point which is that without staying consistent it's extremely extremely difficult to make gains in your gmat score and it's just like building strength or building physical fitness again that's a a great analogy and the main thing that you want to do at the beginning of your GMAT studies is set realistic goals. What can you really commit to on a day-in, day-out basis that you know you're going to be able to do and you know you're going to be able to do over a two, three, four, five, six-month period, which is often the time stretch that most people need to, to really do well on this thing and, and get their prep done right the first time without having to go back and redo it. And I would strongly recommend doing that, by the way. I, th- I think doing this once the right way is the best way to do it. And it's very painful if, if you don't get good results the first time around and then you have to revisit a class or, or revisit a tutor later down. But if you have to do that, then do what you have to do to reach your goals. That's that's my opinion. Now, realistically, if you can commit 20 minutes a day, commit that 20 minutes a day and stick to it no matter what. It, it, unless you're just deathly, deathly ill, obviously, then health is the number one priority. But if you can do an hour a day, that's great. If you can do three hours a day, you might want to consider that a, a focused two hours, or if you think you can max out at two hours, a focused 90 minutes might actually get you farther. And then prioritizing sleep is extremely, extremely important. So just like physical exercise, you do not get stronger while you're working out. While you're working out, you're stressing your body, you're breaking the muscles down. And then while you're resting, that's when you actually get stronger. So having reasonable nutrition, reasonable sleep, and uh, reasonable stress in your life is strongly, strongly recommended for your, your GMAT studies. Now, everything falls by the wayside if you have consistency. So staying consistent, no matter what, is extremely, extremely important. So stick to a regular schedule and be honest with yourself about what you can commit to and stick to over a long period of time. 
Now, the last thing I'll say about that is you're probably going to go through a, an emotional roller coaster on your GMAT studies. Some, some weeks are going to be amazing. Some practice tests are going to be amazing. Some weeks are going to be terrible. It's going to be very difficult to study. You might get promoted at work or you might have family troubles, personal troubles. Everybody goes through that stuff when they're studying for the GMAT. And it's okay if some weeks are better than others and some weeks are worse than others. You should expect that. You should embrace that. And you should not let the highs get to you too much. And you should not let the lows get to you too much. It's totally okay to be high sometimes, totally okay to be low other times. But you want to expect that there's going to be highs and lows and you want to commit to the process and stay consistent anyway. Now, sort of in line with that, I'll close by giving you some tips for how to stay motivated because most of us are going to have to study. In, in reality, most people are going to end up studying about 50 to 100% longer than they would like to or than they predict it will take them. So, for example, when I was studying for the GMAT back in the day, I was like, ah, oh, three, four months, I'll knock this out. It took me about eight months, okay? And I'm, I'm not necessarily proud of that, <laughs> but it's been really helpful because I learned a lot of the stuff to, to not do, and I'm, I'm happy to share that with people now. Um, but here are a couple tips to stay motivated over a longer stretch of time. The, the first is make sure you write down your goal or concretize your goal in any way that works for you. If, if it's an image of a certain place you want to live or a certain title that you want to have or a certain type of contribution you want to make to the world, look at that image every time you study. If it's a certain salary number or some other type of personal, non-material goal, write it down and look at it every single time you study. If you have a North Star, if you know why you are putting yourself through this study process, it will be much, much easier to combat the low points of, of your studying. And the last tip I'll give there is just, again, be honest with yourself and pick something you really want. Why are you really doing this? You don't have to share this with anybody else. Um, nobody's going to judge you for your motivations. Maybe, maybe you're judging yourself. Maybe it's time to let that go and just be honest. What do I want from my MBA experience and commit to creating that for yourself? This is one of the first steps, if not the first step in manifesting that vision. And there's an inherent excitement in that, that you're going to want to hold on to as you weather the storm of GMAT preparation. Now, on that point of honesty, you're probably going to want to have some, some frank conversations with your friends, possibly the folks you live with if you have roommates or you share a living space. And if you have romantic partners or spouses, you're going to want to set expectations for how much you're going to be available and how much you're not going to be available. And also how big of a priority the GMAT is for you. And that's, that's again about being honest with yourself. You might want to make a list of every priority you have or every commitment you have in your life and rank them in order of importance and then put the GMAT in there wherever it slots. And then that way it becomes much, much easier to say yes to the things that are more important than the GMAT and much easier to say no to the things that are less important to the GMAT. So just be honest with yourself is is your uh, taking your dog for a walk every day more important than the GMAT or is it less important than the GMAT? You know, that kind of thing can be a difficult decision, you know, believe it or not. And uh, there's all different kinds of versions of that decision. You know, should you go out on Friday night with your friends or should you stay home and study? Now that brings me to my, my last tip for staying motivated over a long period of time, which is I would strongly recommend picking one weeknight and one weekend night that you do not have to study and you can just take an, either an entire day off or an entire evening off from your GMAT studies and rest and relax or work on other commitments that are also important and fulfilling for you. Um, like I said, most people's GMAT studies, they're going to take about 50 to 100% longer than, than you want them to or than you plan. And if you have a little pressure release valve every single week, then you're going to be able to study for longer. You're going to be able to endure more lows and you're going to be able to ride your highs a little bit better and get a great overall score. 
So once again, if this content is bringing you value, uh, please let us know on our, our Facebook page, our, our Instagram page, and uh, on YouTube. Uh, reach out to us with success stories. Please post your success stories, post your trials and tribulations so that other people in the community can help and share with your friends and family who are studying. My greatest hope is that this content will make your studies as easy and painless as possible. If you want more tips and strategies for optimizing your performance on the GMAT, head to thegmatstrategy.com and check out my free video on how to achieve your goal score in half the normal time and with half the normal effort. In the meantime, this is a weekly show, so please subscribe. And until next time, stay positive, stay consistent. I'll talk to you soon.